We are going to have some fun with my first guest. His name is Ken Lovett. He uh, is now at iCore Strategies, which is a national consulting firm that aims to better connect businesses and institutions with the communities that they serve. Uh, before that, he was a reporter for many, many years. So, Ken, welcome to Cut to the Chase. Thank you. It's good to be here. I have to say two quick things. One, thank you for the Springsteen introduction. As a guy who's seen him 59 times and counting. That was was for you, by the way. I did it on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my least favorite cliche and having covered uh, politics for nearly three decades, I hate the word historic unless it's truly historic. And how often is anything that they say historic actually historic? Exactly. You know, uh, a cafeteria funding or some kind of local <laughs> construction, it's just not historic to me. You know, Berlin Wall coming down, okay, I'll give it to you. Exactly. So in 25 years of covering state government, what governors did you cover? I covered Mario Cuomo toward the end. Mm. I covered George Pataki all three terms, Elliot Spitzer all 16 months, mm-hmm. David, David Patterson, and then Andrew Cuomo. Wow. Okay. And I covered Kathy Hochul as a lieutenant governor, but not as governor. All right. We'll count that. So that's six people who either were or became governor. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by the personalities of powerful people. Did their personalities have an impact on how budget time was done? Well, that's a good question. I'd say yes, 100%. Um, you know, Andrew Cuomo was a force of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say the legislature, a lot of people, not all, a lot of people in the legislature despised him, but they respected his authority uh, and, and the strength of the executive in the budget process, mm-hmm. even when they were complaining. And I think you're hearing it more and more now. Uh, Kathy Hochul came in trying to be the uncuomo and said, I'm going to work with them. It's going to be collaborative. Uh, and the legislature doesn't really respond to that. If they need to uh, go after you, they're going to go after you. And we saw that in this case, um, the amount of popping off, you know, the Kathy uh, Hochul, if you want to say, is a historic governor, right? First uh, woman governor mm-hmm. elected to office yep. in New York. I mean, that's history. Yep. But they, there was really very little honeymoon period. And the amount of sniping at her during the budget process really surprised me. And so, um, yeah, no, I think, I think, uh, look, Elliot Spitzer early on, uh, he, you know, his, he was a self-proclaimed steamroller. Yeah. And it really worked uh, for a few short months. And then he burned all his bridges, which is why he wasn't able to keep his job. You know, the legislature, when you have a particularly strong governor, likes to gripe a lot, but um, they're afraid. And, you know, they don't go after them. You know, it's the old well, I don't want to use the cliche of uh, not going after the king unless you can, you know, kill him. But that's yeah, what it is. That's an apt so when, cliche for this moment. So when Spitzer was vulnerable, they quickly pounced and, and he couldn't survive what he probably could have had he had a few friends. We saw the same with Andrew Cuomo. He had, uh, you know, for 10 years, uh, they, they, they cowered in a lot of ways. And even though they griped about it privately, but in the end, when they felt he was vulnerable, they pounced here. They've been pouncing a lot right They've from the beginning, a lot right out of the gate. I can't tell you how many times I've heard some version of say what you want about Andrew Cuomo, but 
dot, 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 you know, fill in the blank, whatever. He got stuff done. He got a deal done. You knew who was in charge. Uh, and I wonder, I don't know if anyone's having another cliche, buyer's remorse. See how often they come up. Um, but maybe I don't know if there's buyer's remorse as much as you're never going to make the legislature happy. <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> it what it is. No matter what now. Uh, I mean, they hated Cuomo. They hated Cuomo. They hated Cuomo. And now even those who hate him will say to me, you know, I always hated Andrew Cuomo, but at least he could get stuff done. He can close. Yeah. Um, you know, they'll work with you until they you your interests don't align right, you know, the right way. And then they will, you know, jettison you. In the case of Cuomo, I think he was better at this point of cutting deals um, privately and, and using the carrot and stick approach with the lawmakers and with the advocates and the unions and, and everyone else. Um, I think that's something you're probably going to see the governor reevaluate. Uh, you could, you don't have to be as out there, outwardly aggressive as the governor was, but I think you have to, uh, you know, show a little bit of the stick to go after them. Yeah, and it's not easy. It's it's easy for us, you know, from the cheap seats to say what people should and should be should not be doing. But I just want to remind everyone, having been in politics myself, it's not as easy as it looks. But Ken Lovett, I want to play you a clip of something that Kathy Hochul said when she announced that there was a a deal on the horizon. Play cut two, please. And here we go. Nope. That's Eminem. He's going to come next. (laughs) He's not afraid. And I know this budget process has taken a little extra time, but our commitment to the future of New York was driving this. And I believe today we'll be able to unveil uh, the concepts of a framework that'll reveal that what was important is not a race to a deadline, but a race to the right results. So, Ken, love it. Uh, you've covered you've covered Albany for 25 years. I want to tease out a couple of things here. First, she calls it the concept of a framework. Does that mean it's a deal? It meant they were close. And I think over the weekend, they're pretty much there. There were a couple of outstanding issues in terms of language, how you craft it. You know, again, cliche, but I'm going to avoid it. Um, But until you see how the bills are written, um, you know, that's where the that's where it counts. So a lot of times you have an agreement on concept, but you got to get the right language that satisfies everyone. From what I hear, they're pretty much there now. Um, They haven't started printing bills as of this afternoon because not everything's hammered down. The Assembly Democrats are going to meet to discuss the final points tonight. And uh, if if all goes as expected, they could start passing bills as soon as tomorrow. But they expect to do it early this week and finish it, you know, a month late, but it'll be done. So Kathy Hochul has said recently that her relationship with uh, Majority Leader of the Senate, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, and Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty. She says that their relationship is, quote, stronger than you can possibly believe, end quote. Uh, was it odd that they weren't there when she made the announcement on Thursday night? And was it odd that it seemed their comments were terse at best when she really said very kind and generous things about them at that announcement? Is there is there anything to read in there? I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'd say it's chummy, but I don't know how much I'd read into it. You know, uh, Andrew Cuomo, the last few, did a press conference on his own. He didn't necessarily have the legislative leaders. I've seen it done both ways. But after 
a hard-fought negotiation. It's not always, you know, kumbaya, they stand together. From what I'm told from people on all sides, the relationship is fine. It's not as contentious as people might think, but but also there's no fear either from Mm -hmm. the legislative side of things. Mm. So, you know, one thing, as someone said to me, and and I thought it was an interesting point, as I said earlier, you've seen more rank and file lawmakers popping off about the governor, but you haven't seen the legislative leaders telling them to pipe down. And we have seen that out of fear that not so much to silence them, but, hey, these are critical times in the negotiations. You can't go popping off because it could set us back and we want to get this done we did not see that this year. You know, people just were going off at will in both houses and, and, and amazingly um, from the same party. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Democrats are very split right now oh, in yeah. the direction the state should be taken. And that's where the governor finds herself. You know, Andrew Cuomo for most of it and Elliot Spitzer and George Pataki before him and Mario Cuomo, they dealt with a split legislature, a Republican Senate and a Democratic uh, uh, and a Democratic Assembly. Cuomo had a, a, a joint one, uh, Democrats on both houses for a couple of, you know, maybe the last couple of years. But but it, it, in some ways, it's easier to govern that way because you can play the houses off each other and strike deals. That's exactly here, right. Within the Democratic Party, you have the progressives who really feel emboldened and, and, you know, they're the hard left and they're really pushing and they're out there and they're loud and they're all over social media. You have people, particularly from the suburbs and, and upstate Democrats who don't want to go as far on, on a lot of key issues mm-hmm. and who recognize other issues like bail reform, how that plays in their districts. And so they're not only split within the conferences, but the governor is more of a moderate uh, uh, leader. And so she's being pushed and pulled all directions as well. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. So I'm Laura Curran. You're listening to Cut to the Chase. I'm speaking with Ken Lovett, who has covered Albany for a quarter century. Uh, you talked about bail reform, and she, the governor, really wanted to to ch- reform the reform more than it had already been reformed. Uh, and one piece that I thought was really interesting, and, and I'm hum- hoping you can kind of tang- untangle this for our listeners. It's hard to describe exactly what happened with bail reform vis-a-vis the judge's role, least restrictive versus dangerousness. Um, New Yorkers, not everyone's going to be steeped in this arcane terminology. What does this actually mean? So the least restrictive is they agreed to eliminate a provision that in order to impose bail, you had to use the least uh, restrictive provision. So what that means is really as long as the person's going to show up, it shouldn't matter. You shouldn't set bail. And the feeling was that a lot of people were getting out, um, and I don't know the numbers on that. I don't even think they know really the really solid numbers on that. But the perception, which in politics is often even more important than the reality, Uh, the perception is that all these people were, you know, committing crimes, getting back on the streets only to commit more crimes. 
Right. Um, you know, those who favor the bail reforms that were first passed a few years ago say that the numbers don't back it up. Others say that, you know, they're seeing more crime and thus uh, they're blaming bail reform. The Republicans, especially in the suburbs and upstate, have certainly used it to their advantage. We saw it this past election cycle. Yeah. So um, there, since the bail reform law passed, and that was under Cuomo, um, you've seen almost every year now, three years in a row, a push for reforms. And they don't go far enough. And, and what the governor is going to suffer from is what she suffered from last year, which is what, um, you know, other the, the, the previous governor had suffered from, which is the far left is going to say it goes too far. The, the right is going to say it doesn't go far enough. So she's not even going to get credit for it in all likelihood. Yes, exactly. Uh, interesting. So, you know, there's another thing having to do with this bail reform issue that I thought really interesting, and it didn't seem to get a lot of attention. So it was Ronald that McDaniel says the GOP. It said that the five DAs in New York City from the five boroughs had called on state lawmakers to improve discovery laws mm-hmm. uh, that they're so the, the new, you know, with rebel reform, with that whole raft of reform was changes in discovery that made it very onerous for prosecutors uh, getting all of the information. It led to many cases getting dismissed uh, and it was also leading to a lot of line assistance leaving the profession or at least going to another kind of law profession. Um, Then at the last minute, they retracted this request uh, saying, well, it won't make a difference in public safety and we'll just take funding instead. And then the whole thing of discovery was just gone from the budget. What did you make of that? And and I'm wondering why that didn't get more attention. Why it didn't get more attention, I can't answer. But I, I was taken by surprise. I also thought it really left the governor hanging out there, you know, because yeah. she was the one who brought it up late in the negotiations. You know, they thought they had settled on a bail reform deal. Then all of a sudden discovery became an issue. And she was doing that. on. She knew that a lot of people weren't going to be happy with the uh, bail reforms overall. So she wanted to give something more on, on discovery, which to me may be a more important issue even than bail reform. I think so. In, in this case, as you said, people are getting out because they're, they're, they can't do this timely enough. It's just, you know, defense attorneys are are learning how to, you know, put in more paperwork and just making it more difficult to, to meet the deadlines. So for the DAs, not even privately, but to put out a statement saying, eh, never mind, I thought that really left the governor hanging out to dry. Yeah. And it's really the second time we've seen that when she um, – and it wasn't the DAs in this case, but when she nominated Hector LaSalle to be yeah. her uh, court of appeals uh, justice, the day she uh, – chief judge, the day she announced it, the union, uh, Mario Salento, the head of the New York AFL-CIO, came out and trashed it. Yeah. And I was just really surprised that there was no kind of talks behind the scenes. Now, a lot of people feel the governor should have rolled that particular – announcement out better in terms of, uh, you know, doing the legwork behind the scenes, talking to the unions, talking to the lawmakers who had already expressed uh, reservations, uh, not even reservations, outright opposition to this appointment. Um, But they feel she didn't do that soon enough. And and it was just really surprising. But for the prosecutors to do it so late in the process was really head scratching. And to, to me, it was almost like a public embarrassment to the governor only because she was fighting for them. That's right. He was the one pushing it. It's not like the legislature wanted to do it. So she brought it up, hoping to get something done. And for, and then they abandoned her in that. Yeah, I, I thought that was that was a to use a cliche. You know, they really uh, put the rug out from under her. 
Uh, so let's talk about cannabis. I think I have you for two more minutes. Uh, so a lot of the emphasis in this budget conversation has been about what penalties should illegal pot shops get? Whereas in my opinion, the emphasis should have been or the emphasis should be on why is it taking so long to let legit businesses get legit licenses so they can run legit stores instead of these you know, 1,400 stores that don't have to pay taxes. You don't know what kind of product you're getting. It seemed like misplaced energy if you're going to be dealing with cannabis. Honestly, I'll I'll see your statement, but I'll raise it. Okay. (laughs) Which is, is, I don't understand why it is so hard for them to crack down on illegal stores. Um, You know, the whole idea was of uh, behind the cannabis law was to not only make it legal in New York, but to also make it that those who are going to be running the stores, owning the stores, are people who suffered from the draconian drug laws uh, over over the past few decades. Mm -hmm. And so all these stores, while the state has kind of, you know, botched the rollout of all these new uh, these new uh, cannabis stores, these other I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of stores have popped up, particularly across New York City on almost every corner. Six times as many, six times as many of those as there are Starbucks in the five boroughs. Yeah, and why you need special legislation to crack down on an illegal store selling a product? You know, if I if I opened a store and started selling liquor, you can believe the state would shut me down in a second. Yeah. So I don't get why this is an issue even. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And meanwhile, what is there, three or four legitimate businesses operating in New York City and a, and a couple upstate? Uh, I don't know what the heck is going on there. But Ken, love it. I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on. Nice to talk to you. And I hope to talk to you soon. That sounds good. Thanks for having me. Be well. All right. Take care.